Another week is here. Greetings, KJ. Tom with you as usual. And the calendar is about to turn to October. And the temperature is about to drop, and Florida State's coming off a win. So life all of a sudden is much better than it was a week ago when I saw you in this very studio. Isn't it amazing what time will do? Uh, it allows you to forget. It takes some of the edge off of the emotion. Uh, you replace uh, bad with good, and uh, life looks better and goes forward. Maybe it's replacing bad with not as bad. Okay, I'll go with that. Because as we look back, there are still some warts there, and I think there will continue to be. But Warts? There's some scars, <laughs> some gouges. All right, we can call it that. Was there? Let's just get right to the defense because that's where everybody's concern is. Big place. That's the, the, the what I what I call the gash plays. I, I, I just I don't understand yet how um, a, a defense can play well for what was it thirty eight forty minutes. Uh, take out the first two series. Next what nine possessions. Right. Uh, USF gets nothing, and then all of a sudden you lose focus. And I know that part of that is you you had some new kids in because you you got up by a little bit. You were playing some people, but that overall mentality of of protecting that scoreboard and the sacredness of that that those those lights on the visitor side relative to how many points they've scored. I mean, I'm 57 years old, and I still can get agitated and annoyed and, and really? emotional. I had noticed that about. You you got to keep that score down. That that's your measurement. That's that's where we decide how well you played as a unit, and 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 the kids still lose focus of that. I I just I don't get that. Is that youth? It's exactly youth. Absolutely youth. But but all right, we're we're four games in now. Okay, uh, turn the light on. Get, find the switch. <laughs> you know, do something. Uh, you know, the the definition, as they say, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Well, we know what losing focus does. It'll get us beat and it'll allow too many scores. Well, let's try being focused. There's a novel idea. And let's do that from minute one. But what do I know? Well, my glass tends to be half full, generally speaking. So I which, feel which like glass is that so we've had that conversation previously. <laughs> That's why I paused. I decided not to go back down that route, uh, back down that road. You know, I feel like I talked to some who uh, are resigned to the fact that this is what the defense is going to be all year. I.e., It's going to give up 40 plus points every game and you're going to have to win 45 to 42 every week. Now, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that for the next couple of weeks. I do think, uh, you know, in other words, this is not the 09 defense. There's more talent out there. And I do think that they can – Derwin James' absence is huge. I don't think we can understate that. It's one guy, but it happens to be a guy who gets downhill from the safety position and announces his arrival, uh, generally speaking, with some force. So they're missing him. I know you're not high on Josh Sweat, but he is another guy that was a starter, and, and Nottie has not been 100%. Trey Marshall, when he went out, is key. And Trey Marshall is huge. Now, he hasn't practiced this week thus far. Jimbo has said it's not that serious. If he doesn't play on Saturday – that That's will be pre- serious. That, that will be serious for this team against Mitch Trubisky in North Carolina. So I guess what I'm saying, I, I I miscalculated obviously on this defense. I thought it was going to be a really good defense when we were talking about this in July. I still think it can get a lot better than where it is, which doesn't say a whole lot because it's 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 down the bottom right now. Well, the problem, part of the problem, is that the game has changed and people don't want to acknowledge that. Um, when when you look at what offenses are doing. Uh, you know, they used to run 60, 65 plays a game. Now they're running 90 and 95 plays. 
Well, if they were scoring 17 points with 60 plays, they're going to score 25 or 28 points with 90 plays. That's just the mathematics of it. So defenses that, that held opponents below 10 points a game or never gave up more than 23 points in a single game all year long, those defenses are gone. So that's the first thing we have to understand. Uh, a good defense in today's environment you know, is going to give up 20, 22, 24 points a ball game, is going to give up 40 points in some game during the, the season. That's the new reality. Now you're the apologist. Well, like I'm this. just saying no, that, I, that's how the game has changed. The game has evolved, and the quarterback can play. The defenses have not fully accounted for and that. And what yet. we as old-timers value – in terms of statistics, are, are just out the window. You know, you 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 know, my, my defense in eighty, and our listeners get tired of hearing this, but we gave up seven point six points a ball game, a game. That ain't never going to happen again. Thirty years before us, Oklahoma in like nineteen forty seven gave up nine points in a season. That ain't never going to happen. The game has just changed. Now, within that context, you know, I. I, again, I go back to I don't mind giving up you know thirty points if they're sustained drives where an offense is executed. What I can't stand is giving up a touchdown on the first play of the game or giving up consistent thirty and forty yard rushes by the quarterback or a tailback. Those gash plays. I want to see an offense execute, drive the football. I can live with that. But those gash well, I, plays drive me nuts. I think that's where the frustration comes from because you don't look back and say. Wow, that was the tightest window I've ever seen. Unbelievable throw. You just got to credit Chad Kelly or whoever it was. Because generally speaking, the receiver's been open by eight yards, and it was a throw that you know maybe you or I could have made. I mean, that's, that's what it's Well, maybe like. I could have. Maybe you could have. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, the, the, Jimbo was obviously very upset after the game. You saw some of that in the Showtime uh, show last night. Dalvin was as well. I thought, I thought all that was good. I thought Jimbo was really strong <laughs> the, in his postgame. Trust me, listeners, there was more that wasn't shown. Yes, yes. There was a conversation. There was some unerrable. There was night. some unerrable portions. Hey, yeah, the conversation that I got involved in on social media last night was along the lines of you know some of this uh, a season with is is staged, not scripted, but kind of staged. And they were discussing the locker room thing, and I said, you know, you can argue that the lunch scene they had there with Sean McGuire and Alec Eberly last night that was fairly staged. They went to lunch, and there was a camera there, and they probably said, "Talk about this week's game." The locker room scene, that was not staged. I mean, that was uh, that was about as fired up as I've seen Jim on the last several years. But it, what I wanted to get back to is, you know, the the fourth quarter, when, when USF scored three times in a row. How much of that was just Trey Marshall was out of the game and the young safeties just are completely on their heels? How much of that is continued average play at the linebacker position? guys losing focus i mean where do you point the finger for that because that's what drew the ire of jimbo the most and, and i think the ire was the focus even with the young guys uh it, it was more about their body language and how they responded or didn't respond to usf scoring those points i think that's what annoyed and agitated jimbo the most not the fact but the process that they weren't subscribing and ascribing to I think that's what got his ire quicker than, than the actual points on the scoreboard. We are going to talk uh, about Jimbo. Obviously, the LSU job is open again, and so that has... What uh, job? Exactly. Uh, that has 
brought up a few headlines because on, he's on the very short list. We'll discuss that later on. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us as well. We'll uh, do that next segment, get back to X's and O's. The FSU golf coach Trey Jones will join us. He has a uh, former pupil that's uh, competing for the U.S. in the Ryder Cup this weekend. And, and I will remind you as well that Florida State remains unbeaten at home in the Madison social era. Matter of fact, FSU has the longest current home winning streak. That'll be on the line Saturday uh, that is incentive enough to head out to Madso and enjoy it. But the fact that the weather is going to cool off a little bit means that brunch and the, is truly in play at Madison Social. Garage doors open. Uh, great, great weekend to go out there. Don't forget that uh, Centrale, their Italian parlor, is opening soon. I need to get a, an actual grand opening date on that. I'm not sure when it's opening, but that's going to be right next door, and that's coming soon. So head on down to uh, Madison Street and enjoy Madison Social and Centrale. I love fall. Well, fall means football. Fall means cooler weather. Fall means more than that. I don't have to mow my lawn anymore. So there's there's a lot of good things about this. You don't this. mow your lawn in the winter? Uh, no, I do. You do you? Mm-hmm. Try well, to get the leaves up. Yeah, well, I, I I'm guilty. Guilty is charged with that one too because of, of all the uh, the chores in my life, raking leaves is probably at the very bottom of the list of things I'd prefer to do. I don't do anything manual that you can do motorized. You know, Tim Linnefeld is newly married. We need, as we bring him on in our next segment, let's ask him what chores he's been tasked with so far in his... In his. I think he makes sandwiches. Well, and that we could bring Tom and Jeff back into the conversation for that one if we're going to go down that road. <laughs> we will continue with the front row. We have already, uh, we're already off the tracks, off the rails, and here <laughs> in the first segment. We'll be back with more right after this. Front row, Tom and Keith with you, and we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We go to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, how are you today? I'm good, Tom. How about yourself? We are great. Keith and I have already taken the show off the rails, and we finished last segment by discussing household chores. So we're wondering if if you have set down the rules in your household yet as, uh, you know, Fairly newlywed compared to Keith and I. Especially. A newbie, as they say. Yeah, what what, what uh, household chores are your responsibility, and what do you just say, honey, this is all you? Well, I mow the yard uh, and everything that goes along with that. I do the laundry. I wash the dishes. Uh, pretty much everything outside of bathrooms are my domain, and that's kind of our deal. She, she handles that, and I can, uh, I can take care of, uh, of, of just about everything else. Well, she likes vacuuming, too. I'm not big on vacuuming, but, uh, but, but the outdoor stuff... Is is kind of, but that's that's a good deal for us because she doesn't like to do it, and I kind of like to do it. So, Tim that's, and uh, that's how it works out. Tim and Jeff want to know who makes the sandwiches. <laughs> you know, we don't eat, we don't eat a lot of sandwiches. We we you know what we really like uh, we like breakfast for dinner. We do that a lot. So, if you consider an omelet a sandwich uh, with eggs instead of bread, then uh, then I usually make those. Yeah. By the way, I just called Tom Tim, and you'd think I could remember his name since it's the that's same. Not, you're well, talking, I, you're I, talking to Tim, but you're looking I, at Tom. I know. I'm just confused. It, it you got a good answer anyway. It doesn't take much. I appreciate. It. All right. Uh, do we have good answers for the defense? I mean, do we feel better right now? Nine straight drives where USF did nothing. Well, yeah, that, that's good. Uh, I don't know that you feel as good as you would have if, say, the game had stopped at halftime uh, because of the way it ended in, in the, the late third and fourth quarters there. But uh, you know, the takeaway, if if you're looking for silver linings, at, at what, you know, probably been a difficult couple of weeks for the defense is that they are capable of playing well and. and keeping a, a good or at least a solid opponent with a running quarterback in check. They can do it. Uh, the, the question is, why can they do it sometimes 
really, really well, and other times seemingly not at all. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's not really much in between going on with, with the way these the, the, the defense is playing right now. They're either forcing three and outs and punts or turnovers, or they're likely giving up a touchdown. And so even just swinging that pendulum back more toward the middle uh, would be, I think, a, a step in the right direction. But, uh, you know, again, it, at least I, I know it feels like you're kind of reaching a little bit, but you can point to times on the field, both during the USF game and take it back to the Ole Miss game, and say, well, if they play the way they did during this stretch or these stretches, they're a pretty good defense. The frustration, as I picked up on it from Jimbo, though he has, I've not heard him uh, say it explicitly, uh, at least publicly, but the uh, exasperation is with the play of the safeties. Is that is that a a correct assumption, and b what needs to change? Uh, I think it's a start. I, I think to a degree, he's not thrilled with anybody. Uh, you know, the, the linebackers have struggled at times too, and. And he said that on Monday that that was a result of, of one Matthew Thomas not playing a lot of football in his college career, which uh, which makes sense when you go back and think about it. And then two, Roderick Hoskins, for as nice of a year nice of a year as he had last year, he was never the guy who had to make the calls and, and get everything set up properly. So they're asking him to do something new here too. Uh, you know what has to change? I mean, it, it, it kind of goes back to what we said last week, man. I mean, the, the guys have to play better. I don't know that there are, especially with the injuries that they've had. Uh, both up front and in the secondary with Derwin James being out. I don't know if they, they're just flush with options to, to threaten playing time or, or get some other guys some work, like we saw you know, on the offensive line last week. I mean, you just got to keep working at it and, and hopefully getting better because I think right now, I mean, kind of what, what they have is, is what they have. Well, after facing uh, dual-threat quarterbacks, uh, although Trubisky is, is a very, very good quarterback, he does not have the same uh, runner skills uh, that the Florida State's faced against Ole Miss, Louisville, and last week against USF. Uh, might that inability for a quarterback to hurt you give opportunity to uh, call some different things and do and approach it a little differently to try to work on uh, containing? Um, I think so. And, you know, I talked to probably half a dozen Florida State defenders yesterday and, and on Monday. And they were all asked, you know, are, are you looking forward to, to playing a guy who, who will maybe stand in the pocket a little bit more? And I don't want to take anything away from Mitch Trubisky, and none of them did either. They all said, look, he's he's mobile enough to, to step away from pressure and, and buy himself some time. He's just probably not going to run down and, and hurt you for a 60-yard game. But I said, look, you know, it, admittedly, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge having to play against those guys. I mean, you saw Florida State had trouble, or excuse me, USF had trouble when Florida State was running DeAndre Francois uh, on those design runs last week. So uh, I do think as much as they, they respect Mitch Trubisky, and look, I think he's a really talented guy and can obviously throw it. I think Marquez White said he's probably the most accurate passer that Florida State's going to play this year. Uh, he's he's going to be a, a challenge for this defense. I think they're just ready to see a different type of challenge than what they had the first month of the season, and then I think they'll at least get, have that going for them. You mentioned DeAndre Francois. That offense looks a lot different when – a, you're running your quarterback in Francois. B, Dalvin Cook looks like Dalvin. But sticking with DeAndre for now, he remains uh, work in progress makes it sound uh, like he's at a low point and he's improving. I mean, I think he's at a pretty decent point for being four games in. But there is, uh, you know, there are still things that he needs to improve upon. But what's your general takeaway a third of the way through his freshman, redshirt freshman campaign? I think he's had, had, had a pretty nice uh, start to the season. Uh, you know, the the, the game he had against Ole Miss where he just lit up the, the stat sheet and the scoreboard and, and you know, had just the, that just incredible debut. Looking back, it was probably unre- – not to take away from that because it certainly he, – he earned it but, you know, any way he could, but 
it's probably unreasonable to expect him to throw for 350 yards and, and multiple touchdowns every single week, you know. So I, I think if, if you take away that Louisville game, and obviously you can't, but everybody had a bad day at Louisville. So if you take that away and just grade on the last three, he, he's done just fine. The Charleston Southern game is, is kind of, I don't know to say throw that one out, but it's hard to get a, a real read on that one. And then last week they were running the ball so well that they didn't need him to throw as much. And, and I kind of think as, as good as DeAndre Francois has been, I think what you saw from Florida State's offense on Saturday was, was kind of the ideal for what they would like to do. And not to say they're going to run for 450 yards every week, although I'm sure they would take it, but just run the ball, control the clock, let DeAndre Francois make plays you know, at, occasionally when he needs to, whether it be through, through the air or with his legs, uh, and, and win games that way. Because especially if you have a defense that has a hard time with, with giving up big plays, if you can control the, control the clock and Florida State had the ball for more than 40 minutes on Saturday, uh, that's a good way to help out your defense, keep the opposing offense on the sideline. And so if you can facilitate the game in that way and, and kind of take control of it, I, I think that's at least something that can, can, can fix Florida State's issues at least a little bit for at least the short term. Dalvin looked like Dalvin, but, you know, the talk has been that Dalvin never went anywhere, but he certainly looked a little bit different last week than what we've seen the first three weeks. Uh, what impressed me as much as that, Tim, and I'm not around there enough to see it, but we saw some of it come out in the Showtime show last night, is uh, he seems to be, you know, we heard that he was becoming more of a leader in the offseason, and I hadn't seen it, but we saw it this week. We did, we did. And look, I, I, I'm i with you for, like, I've heard the same things you have. Everybody said Dalvin hasn't gone anywhere. It's just been a, a combination of either the offensive line struggles or game floor or what have you, but it's easy to grab people's attention when you're easier to grab people's attention when you have the kind of game that he had on Saturday. I mean, everybody was just in awe again of what he was able to do uh, against USF. So after a game like that, when a, when a guy who has that type of performance comes in the locker room and, and is clearly not happy with the way it ended and, and is yelling and screaming and getting up in guys' face, I think that carries a little more weight than, than under other circumstances. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's often said it, 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 it's really great as a coach when your best leaders are also your best players, and, and Dalvin Cook certainly is that on the offense. Well, let me make one comment that, that people may take as, as a negative, and it's not necessarily meant that way. It's just the way competitors are. The reason Dalvin Cook ran for almost 300 yards against USF is because of what Patrick did in his final carries at, L, at Louisville. You know, there you got Delvin on the sidelines watching Patrick gain some yards with the same offensive line that Delvin was not able to gain yards on, and and that competitive nature comes out of you. And if he can do it, I can do it. And that's where you get back. And, and Coach Fisher's talked about this, Tim, where kids are pushing each other. And so I, I, I'm of the opinion that the reason Dalvin was successful in Tampa is because of what Patrick did in Louisville. It definitely didn't hurt, and and I think most encouraging if you're for Florida State fans is not only did it it, did it potentially push Dalvin Cook to have a, an outstanding day, but it didn't come at Jacques Patrick's expense. He, I thought he looked great. Agreed. On Saturday. Agreed. You know, not only did you know he, he play the the physical brand that, that we sort of know him for, but there were a few runs over there on the far sideline where he looked genuinely quick, and he had some some uh, some moves, some spin moves, and some jukes, and so. I think he looks like a really, really nice player, and I think regardless of what Dalvin Cook does going forward, and I think after Saturday we expect a lot more, but Jack is going to have a role, uh, and he does things a little bit differently than Dalvin does, and he does them well. And it's, I don't even consider it a problem, but it's, it's a nice situation to find yourself in if you're Jimbo Fisher. Well, and to be frank, Jimbo's a guy who preaches balance and loves balance, but if you're going to go 
off the script, and I don't have the total plays from last week, but it feels like it was probably 50 runs and 20 passes, something like that, uh, compared to being a, a dead split. Then you can get 20 carries for Patrick and 20 carries for Cook and 10 carries for Francois. Uh, and, and that's and, and if you're doing that, you're probably controlling the uh, controlling the time of possession pretty heavily. Time of possession pretty heavily, right? Exactly. And one, you know, a good thing that uh, came out of last week as well. Uh, I think we're finally going to see the same five offensive linemen start again this week. Is that your impression? Absolutely. I, I think that they, they. I don't know how you could possibly, barring an injury, I don't know how you could possibly go away from the starting five that you had last week. So yeah, and, that, and that's a good thing. It, it sometimes it takes a little while to figure out who your guys are, but. but I think that's that's your group going forward until they show you that, that something needs to change. But I think it just across the board, talking to Alec Everly, Roderick Johnson, uh, they uh, they all said that that was their best game of the season. And, and uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Is Trey Marshall going to play this week? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of up in the air right now. I know that he wasn't dressed for practice yesterday, still not participating. So he would need to get out there either today or Thursday, but probably really today. To, to be able to have say that he practiced and prepared uh, in order to play on Saturday. So it's kind of a wait and see, but uh, but it hasn't happened yet. He hasn't returned yet. By the way, Tom Lang doing the quick math. It was 63 runs and 19 passes. So if you factor in a few sacks there, it was probably 60 runs and 23 pass calls, something like that. So not, not the, uh, the even flow that Jimbo would normally have. All right, one more question. This is sort of the elephant in the room, and it's going to be stayed. It's going to be parked in the room. Uh, it's going to be, have a big cot, and it's going to be eating for the next three months in the room, and that's the LSU job. <laughs> Um, you know, I wouldn't, it doesn't feel like it could be any more of a distraction than what the Showtime cameras already are. And Jimbo has said they aren't a distraction, but uh, that is going to be uh, around uh, until LSU hires somebody or Jimbo's a little more definitive in his statements to the media. Yeah. I, I wonder, this is such a unique situation, I think, because they, they went ahead and fired less miles so early in the season. Uh, and I almost wonder if, because it's, the, the focus and the, the timeline is so spread out. I almost wonder if it might, I don't want to say die down, but, but not feel as intense as if, say, it was November and they were making a decision by the middle of December and everything was all the time focused on it willy only Because they're not going to hire their full-time head coach for another three months, no matter what happens. So... I almost wonder if you know you get the, the the initial questions and the thoughts and the columns and whatever else out of the way uh, early on, but but I I, I kind of think it might die down a little bit at least over the next few weeks because we know that they're not going to be making a hire for the next two months at least, right? Uh, I can't remember a time when uh, a, a major program like that is has fired a coach this early in the season and then it became the, the, the storyline for, for the next three months or the, or whatever the case may be. So I, I could be wrong on that, but I almost wonder if it sort of fades to the back burner at least until you know we push closer to Thanksgiving. Well, well, I, uh, only if they've got Bobby Petrino's agent. He's the only guy that will do things early. <laughs> well, to your point, though, Tim, the articles on Monday were LSU is going to get Jimbo, and the articles on Tuesday were reasons Jimbo shouldn't take the LSU job. You know, So the, the story had to get a van. Next week it'll be, oh, Jimbo's going to LSU for sure, and then the day, you know, eight days well, from now uh, it'll be, no, he's not. Is they, are, they gonna, are we going to do this for the next three months? <laughs> you know, when, when, the, when there won't be any definitive information right. that comes out uh, uh, from anybody? Uh, it's just going to be, I uh, feel like, a whole lot of speculation uh, across a lot of time, and it's easy to get by on that when your your time frame and their window to hire somebody is short. But when you've got you know eight games left, it's just hard to imagine it staying 
that intense in the news cycle. Again, as we get closer to Thanksgiving and the end of the season, I would expect those discussions to ratchet up and and maybe things yeah, get a little interesting. But I, for I, now. Yeah, I think you're dead on on that. What's interesting, and we'll wrap up on this, this is sort of apples and oranges, but last year when Spurrier quit on South Carolina, they in theory had all year to, to get their guy. Now, South Carolina is not the LSU program. But then all those ACC jobs opened up, and if you compared them to who South Carolina got, everybody in the ACC ended up with a better result than what South Carolina got, even though the Gamecocks had that much more time to get their ducks in a row. I said it's apples and oranges because it's the South Carolina program, not the LSU program. Keith wants sure. to Keith wants to weigh in, but hold that thought. KJ. I think it's apples and bananas. <laughs> Well, you're from Wildwood. You would say something like that. <laughs> Tim, we're done here, I think, unless there's anything else you want to add for the good of the order. Uh, I think I got it, guys. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linefelt. Uh, Keith, you and I can discuss apples and oranges and bananas when we continue. Uh, Tim joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together. Is that a banana up your tailpipe? More of the front row after this. We don't need no Tom and Keith back with you on a Wednesday night. Thanks for tuning in. I'll remind you, uh, by the way, that if you don't already, you need to go ahead and uh, get the front row. It's available on demand, and uh, you can do it uh, by going to the the ESPNTallahassee.com website. Under the audio vault, you can find it there. Click on the front row, or you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. If you subscribe to the podcast, this is a what you call a hashtag pro tip here. You also will get the uh, the Sunday show, which is Wake Up Knowles that airs at 9 and Primetime Knowles that airs at 7. So, a But you bit. don't have to listen to it both times. You don't. Because it's the same show. Yes, if you haven't figured that out yet. You don't have to carve out two hours of your Sunday, only one. We cleverly have uh, confused marketing. masses marketing. by marketing them differently. How about that? Let's talk about this LSU thing because it is the elephant in the room. And it's, you know, it's been there. It was there late last fall. It's going to be there again. I Isn't it ironic I, that the elephant in the room is caused by the elephant in Alabama? This, this is true. But, the, but that elephant couldn't believe that, that Les was fired during the season. What do you think is going to happen? Well, first of all, everybody who doesn't know anything about anything will assume that Jimbo is the lead candidate for the LSU job. Um, Jimbo said uh, basically what I heard him say in his Monday press conference is that he's not talking about talking about it. Uh, What I also heard him say, although he didn't articulate it, is that he's told Jimmy Sexton not to talk about it. Jimmy Sexton is his agent. Uh, I also know by reputation that Jimmy Sexton is probably not listening to Jimbo and, and maybe making inquiries, not just on Jimbo's behalf, but Sexton has other clients that, that uh, he may feel would be optimum candidates for it. Uh, I go back to the story I was told last year, and and you've got – and Laura have family in, in uh, Baton Rouge that, that are plugged in to, to the LSU program uh, pretty deeply, and, and I think you kind of echoed – um, where I'm going with this. The the athletic director got on his horse about getting Miles out of there last year. And as athletic directors will do, he started putting things in place, either officially or unofficially. But he didn't talk to the president about it. 
He was just putting things in place. There came a time when the president of LSU and the athletic director at LSU came together for a a meeting. And basically the president said, I'm not going to let you do this because we don't have the cash right this second to buy up miles, to pay what it's going to take to get someone like Fisher. And we have other priorities that are already on our list. Yeah, well, let let me weigh in on that. So LSU has the cash, but Louisiana has been in a mess when it comes to higher education. I mean, a, a true mess. I mean, states are not funding higher ed the way they once did, and that's particularly true in Louisiana. So you had a perception issue last year that if you're threatening to close the academic side of the university on the one hand, which the legislature did, but you're handing out $20 million bills to fire football coaches on the other, it doesn't look very good. So you had political issue. Now, that issue is not there to the same extent because Les Miles' buyout is a lot lower now, and obviously it's already done. So it was a little bit easier once they got into this year, and he was a year further into his contract. They still are in a higher ed mess in terms of funding the universities there. But that hurdle has been removed. But you're right, and it probably got out. I don't recall the whole timeline. I don't know that Aliva leaked it so much as insiders, whether they're key boosters, board members. Somebody leaked it to the media before there were enough internal discussions held there. Now, second part, would Jimbo take that job? Well, let's look at one basic thing that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, Jimbo's not going to leave his boys. That, to me, I think is the biggest thing that nobody talks about. And and so he, he's going to have to you're make arrangements. About, you're talking about Trey and Ethan, not, not his boys on the Correct. football Trey team. Trey and Ethan. He's, yes. Jimbo's going to have to make arrangements with their mom to relocate those boys to Baton Rouge. I have no idea whether that's a plausible situation or not. But that's the hurdle. Because if if that isn't going to take place, Jimbo's not going to take the I, LSU I job. Do, I have thought about this a lot, and I do see that as the biggest potential hurdle. Because he gets plenty of money here, he'd get plenty of money there. You could argue all day about which job is better, and at the end of the day, I think they're pretty equal. I was at LSU earlier this year. I toured all the football facilities with Jack Marucci, who's the athletic trainer there. Also happens to make a pretty good bat at the major league level, Marucci Bats. But he used to be at Florida State years ago. But I went through the practice facility, the locker room, the whole deal. Uh, I was – my initial reaction, I was surprised because I expected more, which is not to say that the facilities aren't fine, but it's not the Taj Mahal. It's not what Clemson's building right now with their player development thing. So point being – I think we could talk today and we could decide the FSU job's better and we could bring others in tomorrow and they could say maybe the LSU job's better. But I it, I think for the sake of this conversation, that's not even what the deciding factor is. I do think the family thing is significant. And obviously he has a lot of resources and money that he could bring his kids back and forth. But that, that is not a that, life he that, wants. That doesn't happen on Tuesday night when Trey's playing baseball at the field and it's in Tallahassee and he's in Baton Rouge. Exactly. And, and, then, and then the second part of that, is when Jimbo left LSU, let's remember, he left LSU to come to Florida State. Was there a hue and cry and for remorse from the LSU faithful when he left? In other words, was he, was he oh gosh, what are we going to do? The sky is falling because Jimbo left? No. no I mean, and, and I can relate to that because I spent a lot be of like, time there. It'd be like me bringing up, you know, we probably ought to talk to our people about bringing Jeff Bowden back as the offensive coordinator. Well, it wasn't at that level. It wasn't at that level. But he had won the national title in 03. Uh, 
stayed on with Les for a couple years after Nick left. And so I think part of his motivation is that philosophically he's not aligned with what Les wants to do, which... Well, that was the reason look he left. At what, look at what Les has done. Exactly. He hands off to the running back and hasn't developed a quarterback. So obviously Jimbo is... That, that was a, a part of the reason he left. Right. But so if you look at the time frame, though... They had the number one overall pick in the draft in Jamarcus, you know, and I forget what year that was, but they won a national title, which wasn't with Jamarcus now that I think about it. But he had done similar things to what he's done here. A couple years go by, and now people aren't all completely enamored because it's been two or three years since you won the national title. And and people at LSU are much more hang up, hung up uh, about Nick going to the Dolphins, going to Bama, all that, um, which is not just – but bottom line, there was nobody that I talked to, and these are people that are – you know, regular boosters go to all the game games. They didn't have bad things to say about Jimbo, but they didn't think it was that huge a loss. Exactly. That That's my point. Yeah. yeah. The only redeeming thing that I've been able to come up with. A lot's changed since then, though. I understand. He's won That's a, title. a decade. That's yeah, a he's decade. He's proven he can be a head coach. I, I get yeah. that. The, the one thing that, that might be uh, in favor of Jimbo going to Baton Rouge, and I say this tongue in cheek, but is it's known as a sportsman paradise, and Jimbo likes to hunt. And Jimbo really likes to hunt in Texas, and Louisiana is closer to Texas than Florida is. Yeah, well, I'm, I've I've had this conversation with myself a hundred times, and I can't give the answer. I mean, if you're asking me to press on an answer, I think he doesn't go, and the family reason is the one. And I don't know the answer to the family reason. I just bring it up as an issue. Maybe Candy would relocate, and that wouldn't be an issue. I don't know, and that's their personal business. But I do think that's a factor that nobody talks about compared to the dollars and the SEC West versus the ACC Atlantic. One other thing that I'll throw in there, and I could argue this one both ways, Jimbo is tight with Nick Saban. We know externally he talks all the time about how Nick and what he does at Alabama and how he does things. I can tell you that he talks to Nick on a regular basis, at least weekly, because a lot of times when we sit down to tape his TV show, he'll say, yeah, I was just talking to Nick, and they, they got to get this cleaned up too. They can't do this. They can't do this. That's who he confides in. Now, it doesn't mean he wouldn't want to compete against him, but it would be a different dynamic because if there's one coach that Jimbo talks to regularly, it is Nick Saban. And that goes out the window if you're coaching in the same division. You're not calling and saying, hey, Nick, I'm having an issue at right guard, right tech. Should I play the more experienced guy or the more talented guy who's young? I mean, how do you handle this? Those conversations go away. Correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah. So what I I can tell you is we're probably going to be stuck with this for a couple months, and what Tim Linnefelt said last segment is probably right. It'll get... It'll get heated again around Thanksgiving and the end of the regular season, especially if FSU is not in the playoff. If FSU at that point is in an ACC championship game or in the playoff, I think from a timing standpoint, that almost eliminates Jimbo. Well, and and my point was going to be to echo that. The next LSU head coach is working right now. He has a job, right? whoever that ends up being. I mean, there's not like there's somebody on the side. I mean, they're not going to go get Gruden and bring him back to college. So whoever's going to be the next Tiger coach is working somewhere. How long and how far into that work, as you're mentioning, like Jimbo, does he get there? What happens with Herman and Houston? If they, what, what happens if Houston ends up being in the playoffs? Right. If Houston's in the playoff, is Herman going to, on December 6th, after they win their conference championship, just say, see a Houston? Not at all. I mean, maybe. No, he will not. I, I, I will tell you, he will not. I'll give you an, where this unfolded in the Jimbo timeline is that when Texas hired Charlie Strong, it was the three days before Florida State played Auburn for the national championship. If you look at that time frame, Charlie Strong might have been hired the next day, but that all those rumors were going around when Jimbo was in Pasadena playing for a national title. Whether he had interest in Texas or not, 
he couldn't discuss, you know, there, there was nothing that was going to happen then. Now, maybe if Texas had waited and didn't want strong, maybe Jimbo would have had his name in the hat after that. I don't know. But timing is everything, as they say. And if you're in the playoff, I think that now FSU, long shot to be in the playoff at this point. But I think those are factors that come into play, too. Most assuredly. Most assuredly. So all we can tell you is we have no answers either. But I do think there are other variables than just the simple dollar signs and the lure of the SEC. Which program is better and SEO yeah, There are ACC. other factors that will be in play in this. All right, we'll come back. Continue on the front row right after this timeout. front row tom and keith with you once more we'll fire up that earl bacon agency hotline again earl bacon agency ensuring your future together and say hello to florida state's golf coach trey jones coach how are you doing i'm doing great tom how are you doing well thank you for taking uh, a few minutes to join us today uh it was good to catch up with you you were on the trip last week uh, fsu at usf so it was good to see you down there and i'd planned to connect with you anyway because i'm i'm curious is and you've got a lot of guys that have gone on to make very nice livelihoods uh, playing professional golf but to know that one of yours is going to be representing the u.s of a this week for the Ryder cup how does that resonate with you personally well it's uh it's obviously a proud moment uh for, for me personally and and for my family and everyone that uh, was around brooks while he was here but but more importantly uh just couldn't be happy for the achievements that he's made and, and where he's at right now we're talking about brooks kepka who will play this weekend uh, as the u.s tries to uh, do something they haven't done very often get away. off the slide <laughs> yeah they've, they've won just twice in the last 20 years i guess tell us a little bit about brooks personality for folks that aren't avid golfers or don't follow the pga tour uh, regularly I, I get the sense that when he got a top five at the pga championship this year gutting it out on a bad ankle it just showed that he's got the resolve and kind of the grit and determination that that maybe would suit this Ryder Cup team well. Tom, you're exactly right. There, this is a guy that will never make an excuse, and it doesn't matter how bad it is. He's going to put it on himself, and he's going to accept it. And we had some uh, we had a time where he he actually played golf right after he had played in uh, I think in the Middle East somewhere, Dubai. Flew straight in here. Two days later, it's 45 degrees. And the guy, he'd wanted to play with the guys, and they wanted to play with him, obviously. He'd just finished runner-up. And uh, he goes and grabs a carry bag and puts on his rain gear and says, you know, this, how bad could it be? You know, it's only four and a half hours. And uh, the same guy, anything that was thrown at him in college, he'd, he would say, Coach, I'm 18 to 22-year-old. We can take anything. If we can't take anything, we don't need to be here. So... When you have that mindset, you know, he's never going to let a turn ankle or anything to, to pull him out of something. Trey, those of us who have been around the Florida State program for a long time will remember the, the late uh, Don Veller. And one of my stories that you and I were talking about down in Tampa has uh, been published where Veller uh, turned in his uh, expense report when he went up to Columbus, Ohio to recruit one Jack Nicholas. Uh, he was not successful bringing Jack back to Florida State. What was the recruiting process like with with, with Brooks? Because he, he he was top flight coming out. Well, I- interesting. I went and watched Brooks in Hilton Head at a tournament in the first week in February, 
of his junior year, and he shot 43 on the front nine uh, in, in front of me, and it was a cold weather day, and he comes right back with a 34. Um, so, uh, wow, that's you know that's a pretty good uh, bounce back, and showed some immaturity and some temper on that front nine, but came back and. We were actually recruiting the number one player in the country, which was Wesley Graham. And then we had another player who's a top 15 player in the country that we were recruiting. And they're both from Florida. We had a Florida junior tour event here at Southwood. Brooks called up and said, can I visit on that day? And we said, no, you know, we knew we were only going to take two. You, you can't visit on that Friday because both of those two guys were coming in. And uh, so we held the visit with the other two. And Brooks said, I'll just wait till they're done and I'll visit after the tournament. So that was perfect. He and his mom stayed. And uh, But anyway, I went out to the practice round, and he was sitting there waiting on the other two guys uh, purposefully the, to see who we had on the visit. Played the practice round with them, and right at the end of the practice round, I mentioned to my assistant coach that we just had the wrong two guys in on a visit. So um, <laughs> at, at the end of that day, at the end of that week, uh, uh, we we offered him the very next Monday, and on his way back to Orlando, he pulled over at the Millennial Mall and bought a Florida State hat. And called and told me that uh, he said, "I just bought a Florida State hat. I'm coming to Florida State." But the contingent is, he said, "If you give me the same chance, you're going to give those guys. I'll beat them." And uh, he actually came for 20% scholarship, which was which is which is amazing. Wow, wow, that is amazing. How? Uh... You know, go big picture real quick. How do you think the U.S. will fare this weekend? Uh, well, the European team has six rookies, um, so and so I think that's going to – the table's going to be turned a little bit. Uh, obviously played here. Uh, the the guys that, that we have on this team, you know, I, I like. Uh, obviously Brooks being one of them. And uh, uh, pairings are going to be crucial. And, and uh, I've gotten to know Davis Love, and, and I feel he's done this before, which is good. And uh, I think they'll do well. So um, if they can get out of their way, I, I see no reason they can't. But once again, like anything else, if it gets going the wrong way, um, it, it, you know, it'll be a difficult task. I think, Trey, people, golfers understand that it's a personal and individual sport. But the Ryder Cup is pretty unique because it's it's basically one of only a couple of times when individuals come together as a team uh, to represent their country, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit uh, the only little bit of team spirit that gets put into the professional golf game, and these guys do take it pretty seriously. Well, it, it's interesting. The ones that have played college golf um, get it; they get it pretty quick and uh, understand it. The Europeans get it because they play they play team stuff their whole life. You know, they represent their home club, they represent their countries. Um, you know, if they're if they're good all the way up, so uh, it is a lot different when you have more than just you at stake when you're out there playing, and you, you can let someone else down, other than you know just how you do. Because to face it, they're they're all financially uh, secure, and the money's not uh, an issue for them. And but uh, in this deal, there is there's something a little bit more, which uh, which I think is what they like actually. Let's talk about your team a little bit, uh, Trey. What's the what's the thumbnail sketch on uh, the sixteen seventeen Knowles? We got we got a new team this year. We had uh, three All Americans on last year's team that uh, are playing uh, professional golf right now. So so we've got a new look. Uh, got some new young guys that are that are talented, and and they're going to keep getting better. So we've we've played twice and and uh, beaten some very good golf teams in both team both time out, but 
I think it's a uh, team that has the potential to be tough, which all coaches like, and uh, pretty good in April. But uh, we're still uh, got our feet wet and, and learning a lot right now. You know, a lot's been talked about with the decision by the ACC to move its championships out of North Carolina because of HB2, and most of that talk uh, publicly is centered around the football championship. But golf is one that's moving as well. Is there any word or insight um, or preference? I'm sure you have a preference on where that thing moves. I would love for that to be moved near an ocean or Bermuda grass would be uh, great for Florida State. But uh, unfortunately, the the 10 other schools don't uh, seem to, to view that way. I would think we'd stay in, in the South Carolina range. We don't want to go north of North Carolina for weather purposes in April. So um, I would I would guess the Charleston, Hilton Head area would be good. But uh, I would like nothing more than to, to have this thing in the state of Florida, I assure you. Trey, uh, as we finish up this segment, uh, I, I've had the personal privilege of meeting Jack Nicholas. Um, I've met Paul Angzinger. Uh, but we lost uh, the king this week in, in the uh, passing of Arnold Palmer. Um, I don't think any of us can can truly appreciate um, what he meant to the game of golf. And 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 what 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 are your memories uh, of of Arnold? And and did you have occasion to to catch up with him uh, during your career? Well, I think like a lot of people, you you end up admiring whoever your father thought was whoever they admired, you know, in a basketball arena, my dad thought John Havlicek was the guy or Dave Cowens. And ironically, before I came to Florida state, Dave Cowens was his favorite player of all time. Cause he liked the Celtics. Well, he obviously liked Arnold Palmer. And so from ever since I started playing golf, I was hearing Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer. And, uh, fortunately through, through my career, I've, I've had an opportunity to, to be around him. I haven't spent any time with him, uh, respected as, uh, personal time when when i was around him but uh, i just don't think in any sport if you started looking at every single sport who could you put your finger on as as the person of that sport and, and it's easily to do with with golf and arnold palmer i'm not sure in the other sports that, that it's that easy to do at what he did for golf and uh as a person and and continue to do it you know he he's active and uh uh Right up, you know, right up to the end, and the the word the word was out out of uh, Bay Hill that uh, when he was still playing golf, that he showed up for the uh, afternoon game with the members uh, every day. So, you know, that's that, that's pretty neat for someone to to love it, love it, and give back as much as he did. One of my favorite expressions as I've gotten older in reference to the greats is, you know, if there was a Mount Rushmore, and then fill in the sport. In this case, the Mount Rushmore for golf, uh, certainly uh, Arnold would be uh, would be one of the faces. It, it would be without a question. There's there's no one that would leave would would leave that one off. And uh, I I think we're 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 all uh, fortunate that we had someone that that saw the greater of the game versus his own uh, self interest uh, a lot of times. And uh, uh, from from the Champions Tour, which he basically founded, to uh, to the Golf Channel uh, later in his life, so he never he never stopped. Trey, we appreciate your uh, your golf insight. I know you'll uh, you'll be you'll be pulling for uh, Brooks this weekend, and obviously uh, the USA. Enjoy enjoy watching that. Tom and Keith, thank you. It's good to see you guys this weekend in Tampa as well. You bet, you bet. That is uh, FSU's golf coach Trey Jones, who joined us courtesy of the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline, ensuring your future together. We will finish up on the front row right after we do this. 
right, we'll finish up a quick disclaimer. We didn't mention this, but uh, the Tallahassee community, the universities have uh, circulated word that traffic's going to be heavy getting in and out of the games this week, and both FAMU and FSU have home games. I won't go over the particulars except to say plan to arrive early or do some research. Go to the Seminole Booster website, the university website. Find out, uh, look at the Democrat website, figure out your traffic patterns because they've made some tweaks to it to try and help uh, assist the traffic flow. We always talk about uh, football coaches as being dynamic and hard-driving and aggressive and competitive. And we sometimes think of golfers as being laid back and, you know, reserved. Uh, Let me tell you a little something about one coach, Trey Jones. That's the most competitive head golf coach probably in America. (laughs) He was down in Tampa toting clubs, playing with some some folks, uh, some former athletes. And I guarantee you there were wagers – and uh, money changed hands depending on who had the hot hand. He he can get after it. Well, the competitive uh, spirit goes with with all sports, uh, and and that's part of what the fun of watching the Ryder Cup will be uh, this weekend as well. We didn't talk too much uh, beyond our initial conversation with Tim about the FSU Carolina game. Do you have a feel? Uh, another high scoring game. Uh, I think this is a situation where Florida State's going to get gashed through the air. Hopefully not on the ground, uh, but the defense hopefully will, instead of playing 40 minutes, maybe we can get them to play 45 or 48 minutes as you work towards <laughs> 60. Uh, I, I do think Florida State will be, will be victorious, but I think it'll be another high-scoring game. Yeah, well, I think that, like, infinity to just below infinity. And beyond. <laughs> All right. I, I agree. I do think FSU gets it done. I also think, you know, big ledge we're out on here expecting this to be a high-scoring game. He's Keith. I'm Tom. For more keen insight like that, join us 9 a.m. Sunday for Wake Up Knowles or next uh, Wednesday right back here on the front row. So long, everybody. Say-